Conversations from the Retreat From the Center for Sustainable Stewardship Brought to you in part by Big East Fork Retreat at BigEastFork.com Well, good afternoon. Here we are. Again, we found ourselves at, uh, at the retreat, and we're here for conversations at the retreat. I'm Tony Gerber, your host. I'm sitting here with uh, the doctor, and uh, we've got a, uh, a guest here from Lexington who's here for the uh, Creativity Fest 2018 that's starting off uh, tomorrow. And uh, But his name is John Rose, and he'll be uh, performing with Spacecraft as well as uh, what we're going to talk about tonight, some of the uh, Edibles Walk and some of his work uh, with his uh, company, Kentucky Bushcraft. Yeah. Uh, so welcome. Yeah, thanks. It's nice to be back in Nashville again. It's been a while, and uh, and so it's a real pleasure to uh, to be here. Mm. Got a chance to walk around a little bit, and up in Lexington, things have not uh, bloomed as much as here. So it's, it's good to see that there's going to be something to talk about. You know, you know, funny thing when I first met you, which I guess would have been uh, what maybe ninety four. Yeah, about ninety four, ninety three. Yeah, it was ninety. Two, but you possibly, were, you yeah. Were, yeah, I think it was 19. But you were doing radio uh, uh, on the public radio station there with David yeah, Devers. Yeah, WUKY, which yeah. is a, an old public radio station. Yeah, still. Yeah, around. so uh, so that was neat because I'd come in and, and stop in there. And we so, so we've done different radio things over the years. Yeah, know? we've even we've given live concerts on the air and uh, all sorts of stuff. It's been, yeah. uh, been a lot of fun. Well, so, you know, I mean your interest in uh, survival skills and and the bushcraft and all that i mean of course ties in um just right into the center of what css is here in this kind of uh, land preserve yeah it's beautiful and it's reflected and just walking around i can see such diversity a lot of biodiversity there's i noticed there's beaver out here and there's uh uh you know the water is just pristine and uh, yeah and the plant life, you can just tell. You can read the plants and see that they're happy out here. That's that's really cool. We had uh, the Harp of the Conservancy here last week, I guess, and uh, and of course the biodiversity in Tennessee and in the river system, and you know, out here, just you know, just what you said, your observation is, you know, we were talking about that with, uh, oh gosh, I can't even, what was his name, Dan. Dan. Um, Dan Fitzgerald. Yeah, Dan Fitzgerald, but he was a scientist, a uh, water specialist. and uh, But it is amazing here in Tennessee. I mean, um, I don't know what it's like in Kentucky, but, I, I mean, you, you see some differences? I mean, There, there are some differences. Um, you know, clim- climatically or cli- yeah, climate-wise, climatically, I don't know if that's a word or not. But anyway, uh, climate-wise, it's, it's, uh, it's slightly different. The um, the species I see growing here are a little bit ahead of us is the only big difference that I notice. Right. Uh, there's the geography or the geology here is a little bit different, um, and uh, you don't have to go too far, you know, to find that. We we have some very biodiverse regions in Kentucky, the Red River Gorge area, uh-huh. uh, Big South Fork region. All that is really um, is one of the most biodiverse regions in. The world, I think it's second to the Amazon. Uh, yeah, a lot of that area, so it's it's beautiful. Uh, fortunately, it's been uh, preserved, and they're managing to keep it going. They wanted to flood it out and put a lake in there, of course, right. uh, for economic purposes. But uh, uh, it would be a shame because there are species there that don't exist anywhere in the world. So, and I'm sure it's very similar. It's a similar yeah, it dynamic similar here, here. So, Johnny, let me. Um, let me interject here. Yeah. Um, uh, it, intuitively, I know the answer to this, but I'm having difficulty um, expressing it. Why is the Center for Sustainable Stewardship, why is this, um, this valley, this pristine valley, 
why is that? How is that connected? Why is this a good place for um, foraging for edibles? I don't know. The native people here in this region, and I know back home, these areas were very sacred areas. It's where they would go to collect herbs, where they would go to collect things. Also, it's it's protected by the mountains. I know the Appalachian Mountains are a little bit further east of here. Uh, it's it's just very well contained. It's almost a rainforest in a lot of those areas, and and so it's very well protected from so industrialization. A lot of, a lot of are pristine, and there's a lot of uh, nature the way it was. There, there are a few invasive species here. Yeah, but I'm yeah. trying to look for the connection between. Um, well. Uh, Tony, you invited Johnny here to teach uh, teach us about how to find edibles. Mm. And it seems to go with a natural pristineness or wildness. What, what's the connection between... It seems like it fits. Well, I mean, yeah. Clearly it fits it, to be It here. clearly fits on that... several levels, I think. I mean, it, fit, it fits on several levels, I think. I mean, the, uh, the concept of sustainability, <clears throat> I mean... Once you learn that skill of being able to find the edibles and be able to survive that way, obviously that you know that's how that. We surely don't want everyone going into the forest and eating, eating what they'll find, or, or they'll be uh, too many people. Right. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, to, but to, uh, some, I mean, it won't be left. Right. Re- really, I think when it comes to that, the the. Uh, I don't know if it's a solution because you get so many people, you're just naturally, it's going to decimate the, the, the land. But if there's education on how to uh, practice a stewardship of the land. Yeah, I, th- I think, I think yeah, I think the connection, I'm beginning to see the connection. It, it connects looking around and looking under leaves and identifying things and uh, being observant of, of the natural world. Uh, it obviously connects you. Yeah, and the world does provide, it will provide, the earth will provide unless you start taking too much and then it starts to fight back mm. because it's like, okay, yeah. enough's enough. So here you go. I'm going to you know, take you guys out of the equation, take a few out, you know, take enough out to maintain that balance. So then you end up with you know, pestilence, disease, you get, you get a pandemic uh, or you get weather patterns that get so far out of whack that, that our body can't maintain we're fragile beings whether we like it or not or whether we realize that and unfortunately um we're not educated to think of ourselves as fragile we're educated to think of ourselves as having dominion over the earth having dominion over everything this goes Mm -hmm. back you know centuries and centuries and we don't really have dominion over uh ourselves much less the rest of the world you know the rest of the the ecosystem mm-hmm. and uh as as far as as our i'm sure, I'm sure there's a bit of wonder and awe reaches. to be you know you pass this plant uh unwittingly every day and all of a sudden you have a teacher like yourself saying well these leaves you can eat and, and these roots have these type yeah. of things yeah it, and, it, you, and it's sort of like wow all this beautiful stuff it really makes one uh, right. uh be grateful it, for, it does for, for the natural world, and I think that's uh, that's certainly the mission. Of, yeah. uh, There's a real sense. reverence that comes about, and uh, and you start off. I, I know when I when I when I teach people, and when I'm learning myself, first thing you see is just. You, you ask, I'll ask people. I'll say, well, "What do you see?" And they'll be like, "Well, I see a lot of trees. I see a lot of you know green, and I see a lot of brown, and a lot of some grays, and then you know the sky or whatever." And then you start singling these things out and, and you realize, oh, well, there's uh, there's this type of hardwood tree and its bark is different from this tree and the oak tree is different from the maple tree. And then suddenly you start realizing that there are 30 different species of oak trees that you're looking at and there's you know, 400 species of this and, and, and this it gets to, to be this tree overwhelming. This, this moss likes this side of the tree. Right. And this yeah. bird eats this moss. You see this in this interweaving web of of, of uh, just this tapestry that's been been the connection. Rec- you know, woofed and warped together for, for millions of years and, and it's just such an intricate, beautiful design. It is and, it, and tapestry is a very good word and when we start removing the threads from these tapestries as in trying to eradicate this one particular thing, 
then the tapestry starts to get holes in it and it starts it starts weakening the whole structure mm -hmm. of the tapestry if we're not careful. So, you know, it's important when you go out to take something uh, that you look around and you say, okay, what's relying on this? If I go out and collect all the walnuts in the, in the forest or all the... Uh, um, ginseng, let's say. The ginseng or the hickory nuts or anything, then... Uh, then that's going to affect yeah, the, wildlife. the wildlife that's there, which is going to affect also the other organisms, and it's going to affect the spread of seeds, the right. spread of pollen. Everything's connected. Everything is connected and interconnected. And then you introduce an invasive species, like uh, somebody goes to another country and says, oh, this is so beautiful. What is this called? And they're like, oh, that's honeysuckle. Yeah, it's beautiful. <laughs> so you come back, and next thing you know, you, you, know, you have... Uh, Right. entire forest Taking of honeysuckle or they decide oh kudzu is a good thing to prevent uh, erosion of the you know so the roads don't get washed out and now that's all you have in eastern kentucky is kudzu growing mm. in blankets that cover everything so that went north didn't it because didn't that start like maybe in georgia, georgia or something, or something yeah. like that yeah it was brought here originally from asia uh, as honeysuckle came here from asia also Huh. A lot of, of the Asian species, because the terrain there is very similar to here in a lot of places. That's ginseng grows very well in Asia, grows very well in these parts as well. Right. So, you know, we just have to be careful what we introduce yeah. and what we take away. So observation and consciousness and awareness, to me, are key elements. And tomorrow you're going to be uh, talking yeah, I'm going to give uh, a, a talk about this, and it's real special. It's real sacred territory for me, and so I hopefully will uh, be able to help people open their eyes like, like I do every day and try to do more and more every day. Hmm. I go out and I think, you know, I, I, I might have some knowledge, but the, I go deeper and deeper and realize the more I learn, the less I realize. Yeah, and that's in a very positive that. thing. I don't, yeah. you know, that's not a negative thing. It's not like, oh, this is so overwhelming. I'll never learn it all. I will never learn it all. But I'll also never stop learning. And that, to me, is, is a key thing yeah. and really vital to, to life itself to and passing learning. that along to, to future generations. If I come across a mushroom and it's just white, it's just a white, maybe some brown on it, is there any poisonous mushrooms I'd fix Fit that description? Uh, many of them do, yeah. Them. Mushrooms are a, a real uh, touchy thing, even though the majority may be edible. There are, well, I don't know about the majority. There are a lot of edible mushrooms out there. But there are such minute details in those down to the spore print that the mushroom makes. You know, it can mm. determine whether that mushroom is, is uh, toxic or edible. And it also depends on your own uh, uh, chemistry. Chemistry. Um, just like people have allergies, some people have allergies to certain right. nuts. Other people have allergies to seafood. Um, so how do, you, how do you deal with that if you're out? You, you. I mean, I heard you earlier kind of describing a process. You know, how do you check there's to a, know if something's really safe for you or not? There's a, a priceless technique called the universal edibility test, and what this entails is uh, it's, it's a bit of a discipline and, and it entails fasting for a period. People have different uh, methods. I've read all kinds of different ways of doing this. I think at least eight hours. Mm -hmm. And then you, uh, uh, I'll just run through it real quick. You, yeah. you take a, a piece of the plant in question. You journal the time of year that it's come out. Say it's springtime. You write the date. You write the climate that it's coming from. And each part of that plant whether it's the leaf, the stem, the root, uh, the flower, every single detail that you can, everything that you can about it. And then you test each of those parts individually. Like on one day, you might say, I'm going to test the leaf of this plant. So you rub it on a sensitive part of your body, like uh, the inside of your forearm, something like mm -hmm. that. It's very sensitive. Mm -hmm. And you wait for a reaction. You wait about 15 minutes and see if you haven't had a reaction in 15 minutes, then you touch it to your lip. If you don't get a reaction like a swelling um, or uh, any kind of psychoactive effect or nausea, headache, shortness of breath, any number of symptoms, right. then 
you wait a little while and you can wait anywhere from there's 15 minutes to two hours to sometimes four hours when you start ingesting it i like to wait between four and eight hours during this time you don't want to consume anything else at all wow because you don't want it you want to know where the reaction is right. coming from right. you know you could take a plant that's perfectly safe and get to a point where you ingest it and if you haven't fasted maybe you've uh, you know, eating something and you get food poisoning and then you think that that plant's toxic and right. it may not be. So you want to try this, you know, over a period of it's time where you're fasting. Test. It's a very controlled yeah. and scientific test yeah. and you want to document everything. And, you, and you, you record the characteristics of the plant so you know which one it is you're, right. you're eating. Right. And over time you, you, you feel safe and uh, you get to eat that plant again in probably increasing quantities. Exactly. And, and you get to know... You get to know what you're eating. Do you know? Do you know how I know something is safe to eat? It generally, you know, it comes in a wrapper which has ingredients in it that some of which I can't right. pronounce. But the, <laughs> but the fact that that you bought it and that it comes in something that is, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean it's safe. No, well, um, <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. such a different way of brainlessly putting right. something into your body. It's a it's a very different method. You develop a you cultivate a, a, an intimate relationship with every aspect of that, and and I like to draw the plant when I'm out, even though I'm a terrible artist. I draw every detail that I can of this plant, and in my mind. I realize what I'm dealing with that way because there are so many lookalikes mm -hmm. in uh, in the in the plant kingdom that um, you know I may be uh, for example uh, the taxus plant which is a shrub that grows in every you know not every yard but it's all over the place it's one of the most toxic plants in uh, in the world um, and it is. Uh, it's called, a, it's also known as a yew. So, and it's an evergreen. That's, it's an evergreen. Yeah. Uh, well, 50 needles from this plant are enough to kill a person. Um, it looks very much like the eastern hemlock tree. And here again, you run into yet another dimension because you think hemlock, you think, okay, that's what killed Socrates. I'm going to stay away from that. Well, the hemlock tree is another evergreen, which looks very similar to the yew, but it grows differently, but sometimes mimics it. So you want to be real careful. Hmm. The hemlock is, is a very healthy uh, plant. It's real high in vitamin C. The hemlock tree, uh, the hemlock plant, the other hemlock. Is that is the water hemlock? The is water, that, water hemlock is that and what poison Socrates, hemlock. Uh, was forced to drink? Yes. And uh, it is very high in, um, uh, oh, my mind is, is, is going. Um, Anyway, the, the toxic compound, it's right on the tip of my tongue. Yeah, yeah it'll come. Can you imagine, imagine being forced to, uh, to drink something for corrupting the youth with truth? Is that... Like a fraternity hazing party, maybe. Uh, yeah. No, I, I, that was a, isn't that what Socrates was uh, is that accused what a, of? of, of I, a, yeah, of, it's something um, to that degree. Corrupting the youth of our, of our city. Yeah, I, yeah, oh, exactly. Not, yeah, yeah, I misunderstood you there for a second. You can edit that out. <laughs> uh, no, I think he it. he was uh, accused of something like that and forced <clears> to drink hemlock, uh, just like the herbalists of uh, of the Middle Ages were often accused of witchcraft, mm -hmm. and were were you know burned. I mean, the yeah, libraries right. of Alexandria were destroyed. Yeah, Who right. knows what? I mean, you can just go on and on with there. There's so much knowledge that's been, that's been destroyed. Destroyed. However, there's also a lot of knowledge that is the intuition can teach us a lot and that knowledge came from somewhere and a lot of that information is locked inside of us some of it even locked in our dna uh, we instinctively will know uh, we, we instinctively know what to avoid sometimes right you know we just it's just uh, makes sense whether we recognize it as instinct or not it's also kind of sometimes known as common sense. Um, I'm getting off topic a little bit, but it's all still kind of comes full circle. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are there herbariums that you, you look at or uh, herbaria is the word? Um, you know, our, uh, 
the First Nations who were here, they, they, of course, they, they cultivated the three sisters, the corn, the squash, and the, and the beans. Mm -hmm. And um, I don't know how much of their diet, probably maybe 99.5% were those things. And a lot of the, um, a lot of the edible plants um, might have been eaten for, for medicinal or spiritual reasons. Hmm. Um, the ones that were uh, useful for energy or nutrition, those probably got, uh, got cultivated into those sister crops. But um, it's with all the variety and in in, in out there in the ecosystem and all the, all the multitudinous types of plants, it's odd that only three of them were the ones that were the staples of, and, or maybe I'm wrong. And I, they would plant, and, and you know, those were planted like on a mound in a cluster together, I think is what that. Yeah, there were, they were, um, and, you know, and we still plant squash that way, it grows well that way, you know, yeah. so. But um, uh, it is interesting, and I, I haven't given a whole, whole lot of thought to that, but it's it brings up a good point of how these things are interrelated and how they, you know, I don't know why they became. So edibles, it's, um, do you take an interest in, in um, medicinal uh, herbals? Well, while you're searching around, you come across things that have, have uh, a reputation for, for being good for this or that. Very, very strongly so. And when it comes to, to uh, wildcrafting, it seems like almost without fail, all edibles are in, in turn medicinal. Uh, they have some medicinal property. We have bred a lot of the medicinal and edible properties out of plants uh, for the sake of, uh, of aesthetics, of, of visual aesthetics. Um, it's, uh, it's sad, really. Yeah. You can take a wild plant, which is a very small quantity, and it doesn't look like much, but you'll get a full meal from something like that, which the cultivated variety, you're going to need a lot more bulk. Uh, greens are a good example. You know, lettuce, iceberg lettuce is yeah. is fairly uh, it, useless. Inert. Inert. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's all right if you're if you're if in need of water. We have a medicinal garden. Um, if someone might take an interest in in growing here on site, um, a medicinal garden. Absolutely. Um, everybody, uh, if they took the responsibility of doing this, of of reintroducing the native species into their yards into their gardens and stopped weeding uh i i grew a garden when i had a house for a, for a long time i live in an apartment now uh, most of the time i have still have property but i don't spend enough time there to really cultivate a lot mm -hmm. but i would go and eat more of the weeds out of the garden than i would what i was growing i finally just <laughs> that's hilarious i stopped weeding and had more food I, there's you know, a lot of a lot of what ails us these days are, 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 are sort of uh, diseases of uh, civilization and lack of community. You know, mm. depression and anxiety and and, and neuroses. And right. That. I would yeah. think that there's a certainly uh, there might be some chemicals in in uh, and, and, and neurochemicals and uh, other other elements in herbals that are helpful for these conditions. But I think perhaps even greater is the activity of actually growing and watching, observing, is therapeutic in that the activity is actually might be as uh, helpful than it, the actual it is. substance. It is. It's a very holistic process, and watching these, watching these uh, these beings, you know, they're they're living, breathing uh, organisms that. They provide oxygen for us, and they consume the CO two, and they, you know, they provide nutrients to us and nutrients to the soil and everything around us. Um, I mean, isn't it harder to be depressed if you see a flower blooming? It, it or, is. You know, yeah. What's what's? How could you be anxious when there's something that's just blossoming or, 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 or growing? You or, or... you almost can't. I, I have PTSD. <laughs> I have post-traumatic stress disorder. Not to not to bring that out, but the greatest um, cure for that for me, and I say cure because I, I'm not affected by it very often anymore. And I approach this not through 
uh, pharmaceuticals, not through anything but my own going into nature. There is nothing like going into nature. You learn to breathe mm. properly. You're breathing in uh, much purer air, so your, your body is getting those nutrients, which affects the brain, which affects the nervous system. Yeah. Um, you know what happens to me when I'm, when I'm forest bathing? Um, there's just a lot more senses. There's there's the odor, there's the sight, there's the mm. feel of the, the the pressure on my feet. There, there's there's just so much sensuality that my the thinking part, the uh, the the monkey, the chattering monkey, uh, uh, stops. You know? are you are absolutely and, right, and that's. Uh, you know, that's what people spend hours at the psychiatrist or, or taking the pills to do. Right. You can right. do that by just looking for these plants. And you, once you get in the flow of looking for it and observing, it's like, you know, it's like, a, you know, hey, it's been 15 minutes and I haven't had a, a depressive or neurotic or anxious thought. Yeah, and it's free. Yeah, and right. not only that, you know, you're getting so much even in return. You know, not only is it does it not cost you a visit to... Uh, you know, to an office somewhere and, and all these uh, things it costs you not only monetarily, but physically and, and psychically or psychologically, everything. And you're not dependent on you're this other person. You're not dependent on it's like the other person. You your door, you know that it, it, it's this, this, uh, this treatment. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a, wonder, it's a wonderful feeling of independence because mm -hmm. you have, yeah. uh, you're like, I did this. I remember the first time I got fire with friction. I don't need anything except the resources that are around me. I don't need matches or a lighter. I can actually do this, you uh -huh. know. And that's getting outside of the realm of plants and building shelters well, and knowing sure, how sure to do that. It sure is nice having a fire on a cold night, but add, add that special yeah. female and it even gets better. It gets even better. <laughs> yeah. It took me a long time to figure that out. I was, I was like, I had all the other stuff. I was good to go. And then I was like, well, who's going to come out here with me? Yeah. <laughs> I spent a lot of nights alone in the woods, which was it's not bad, but it, you're right. It's a whole lot better. If you I mean, he does, like John, every <laughs> once in a while, I'll see a Facebook Live come up, you know, on the on the screen, and he'll be out in the middle of the woods up in Kentucky in the wintertime by himself, you know, with no, I mean, he, he's like, hypothetically, what would happen if your car broke down and you're out in the middle of the woods, you know, and you didn't have anything. But so he'll also, go out and reenact, you know, he'll go out and see what happens. And well, he, what a wonderful activity to, to, to do with someone special. Or, or oh, it's even or better. Whatever. I mean, you're, well, yeah. Yeah. you're out together alone, you're talking about things and you're tasting, you're tasting things. It's, it's a it's, wonderful activity. It's yeah. fantastic. I mean, hence, hence camping with somebody. I mean, it's a... Uh, right. Know. And introducing your kids to it, you know, when you have... Uh, uh, you know, when you're with that special someone and it really, you know, goes really well and then eventually you've got the kids, you know, are there and you can introduce them to it. How, how beautiful would it be for your, your son to, to talk to his daughter and say, yeah, this is what my father taught me about this plant. Yeah, it, it goes this, this came back to me with my, my stepson who uh, is, is a, a beautiful human being now he, he was a tough one tony knew him well now he he went out on the road and lives he's lived in the forest he's lived in the woods and he came up to me a couple of years ago and he said um he said you know i you wouldn't believe how much of the stuff you taught me and how much i've passed that along to people and i just want to thank you and i was like i i had to stop for a minute and and think about this i mean i was moved to tears he had an experience in the woods where he almost died he got a plant i think is what happened that uh um, was toxic and he didn't realize it and he spent three weeks in intensive care yeah i think that's what happened i think he got a bad mushroom as he had all the symptoms his organs started to disintegrate uh, or started failing. Right. His liver was compromised, and one of the mushrooms are. Of course, John doesn't want to scare everyone away from the the course tomorrow. No, <laughs> yeah, sustainability creative yeah. fest. Uh, but that's yeah. that's why we'll be listening to him intensely. Listening to him very <laughs> intensely. Listen very closely. Yeah. <laughs> but there is there is there is so much goodness out there that overshadows all the. It, yeah. If if you can uh, feel 
fear is immobilizing. And that's what keeps so many people Especially from actually out going nature. out into nature. Yeah. Because it is very it can be very intimidating to be in nature, especially in your if you're in a situation. But if you have knowledge and you have experience of that, then suddenly you're like, ah, that, I got that, a break from all this. You know, I'm not point. lost. Huh? I'm found. You know, when I, was, uh, <laughs> when I was about 12 or 13, my folks sent me to a, uh, a camp where, you know, it's a survival type of thing. It wasn't survival. I mean, we, didn't, we knew we were going to survive. We thought it was survival. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> You know, Your first experience. I visited camp. with my my parents, you know, at the Arboretum into the national park. But we'd always be in a hotel in the evening, and <clears throat> didn't really have an opportunity to to uh, to know that it's uh, you know the, the dark was someplace where spooky sounds came from. Right. And mm-hmm. and uh, it really was a difference after that summer to to know that the forest was my friend, and I could always just get a. <clears throat> A tent and a, and, a, and a sleeping bag, and it would be okay. Not even okay. It's like it would be fun. Exactly. Just out there. Laying on the ground. And, and just, uh, it's a... I wonder how many kids don't have that experience so that uh, the forest is a place of fear or a place of, of spooky horror movies or, or suspense. Hmm. And uh, that's something that uh, I, hope, I hope the Center for Sustainable Stewardship can, can help foster that opportunity for kids to. Uh, spend a couple nights outdoor. Yeah. It's a it's a it's priceless priceless experience, and this is the perfect venue for that. The perfect place for that. Yep. It's good because it's 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 safe. You know, it's it's really it, it's not like accidentally getting lost in uh, the middle of uh, of of a, a huge forest range. It's a great introduction because it is forest. It is, uh, you know, it, it is wilderness, but it's within. And if you get lost, you just follow the water, walk downhill, follow exactly. the water. Exactly, follow and, the water. And you'll end yeah. up at Biggie's Fork Creek. I mean, it, there you go. It'll take you, uh, it'll take, the water will take you home, as it always does. That's, yeah, it, that's as good. it does, that's right. Always follow the water. That's true. And there is Dr. O'Brien. Dr. Welcome. Hello. <laughs> we have additional guests that are here who have brought chocolate. Uh oh. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. I don't. I bet it's not keto chocolate either. No. Now, can you forage for chocolate? Is there any way to forage for chocolate? Well, um, 100%. <laughs> I haven't figured that one out just yet. Yeah. But, I mean, um, uh, that's from a leaf, right? It is. It, uh, the cacao? Or... Yeah, it takes a bit of processing to get it to yeah. that stage. Mm. But absolutely, you can, just not in this region. Not in this region. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There are some great candy substitutes, though, that I would love to come across. Now, stevia, you bring that up. one. Stevia is one. As sweetener. Uh, so is, um, oh gosh, there's wintergreen. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. There's tea berry, which tastes just like the I gum. I love tea berry. Tea berry is one of my favorites. Is one of my yeah, favorites. That is really good. And yeah. There, there yeah. are so many. Um, there is uh, sweet Sicily, which is like licorice. Yeah, sassafras. 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 Yeah, I love and, sassafras. I, and I use those things in seasoning, mm-hmm. like stinging nettle. I'll cook those up and season it with a little bit mm. of Sicily and a little bit of wild mint. Yeah. And Some uh, tea. So it's delicious. So lucky. Um, just, just walking into our studio is Dariush, uh, Dariush Rod, Rod, and uh, from Astroloop Studios. What an amazing weekend! An amazing artist, Astrope, Astrope, oh. and uh, and uh, yeah, and he'll be we, playing is there, tomorrow. Is there any segment that he can give? Uh, we can give him three minutes to talk about. Absolutely. His, his yeah, work. let me let me and, step um, aside here and, and first John, of all, John, really thanks thanks for coming in and. Uh, and uh, explaining some of that stuff yeah, and, and it was very informative well thank you i want to thank you guys for the privilege of being here because uh, this is ancient knowledge wisdom that's been passed down to me and every opportunity i have to pass this along i like to take it because it's it's been a gift to me yeah. and so thank well, you thanks. so very very much yeah. thank you so uh the uh musical chairs here uh, people spinning around and we've got uh, Dariush. uh Rad, who's uh, 
a longtime friend and music collaborator. In fact, uh, we have a brand new album that is making its debut right here at the Center for Sustainable Stewardship at Creativity Fest. And that's called Brother Tribe is the project. And Anastasi Rising, Anastasi Rising is the name of the album. And uh, Darius will tell us more. Yeah, I mean, he's... Uh, He's a production person, he's a uh, musician himself, and he's a corporate executive. That He doesn't want to say he's really a corporate executive. But. Anyway, welcome. Thank you, Tony. It's such a, it's such a treat to be here. This is going to be a, a beautiful weekend and a magical event, and I can't thank you enough for allowing me to be a part of yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to be hearing... Uh, some of your music from your new album, I believe, right? Yeah. Is that, well, did you decide what, what you're actually going to... route to go? <clears throat> yeah, I think so. I think I'm going to play uh, most of tracks off of a new the new project, Transcended Agenda, which I recorded a couple of months ago. And, yeah, his solo and, project. Yeah, it's going to need electronic... I guess I would call it yeah, sort it's, of it's... like... It's EDM with like sort of this early '70s street funk vibe. Yeah, it's it's a very it's a real it's fresh uh, sounding for sure. I mean, it's, uh, it's a little bit hybrid, but yeah, I'm you glad know. I, you were one of the first people who got to hear it, as you obviously have had such a impression on my music and the electronic and ambient stuff mm. that I've been exposed to, and and. Uh, and exploring over the last few years but this was really really neat and different it was um man i had a uh, i had a break in my day gig as it were mm -hmm. and it was um and waiting for some uh, for a proposal for something to come in and it was just driving me crazy and i'm like i've got to distract myself and so i dove into some new tools mm and computer uh, tools yeah yeah, yeah. Computer kind of programming stuff and, and again the production was a little hybrid some performances but mostly just taking pre-existing sounds and putting them on the canvas you know and i got the project moved really rapidly the songs came out really fast i was i was definitely inspired mm -hmm. and um as I got to the end of the project, I realized, you know, gosh, for years as a songwriter and artist, a producer, we spend 80, 90% of the time that we spend working on a project is recording the sounds, right? Mm -hmm. Which is cool, whether it's all the instrumentation that we record, and then we get to stop and mix it and make music out of it and then master it and get it ready. To yeah, the multi-track process. But uh, I got to the end and I thought, gosh, I didn't spend any time setting up a mic and recording because these sounds that somebody over the last five or ten years has in the top studios in the world with the top microphones and the top gear in the world have acquired these beautiful beds of sounds. Yeah. And so it's different. I mean, I, I still enjoy performing and recording and doing the more traditional approach right. to making music. But this new um, set of tools has really made it it's just really interesting i would say i would make i would liken it to if you were a painter mm -hmm. but part of painting was making your own paints every time you got ready to make art right that's to me what like this is different this is like the paints there and you just get to just put it on the canvas and then you know what i'm saying right instead of creating the paint yeah, yeah, you just, just dig right just into the digging right in using yeah, so it's exciting. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying yeah, yeah. it. And so I, um, I'm looking forward to sharing that tomorrow. And uh, I have some good projections and stuff. So Yeah, it sounds like you've got some cool... Yeah, uh, I think so. I mean, he, yeah, we've got cool uh, Charlie Tambellini um, that's going to be doing the projections. And uh, he's also uh, he also has an organic farm, further farms. So. Well, very cool. You know he's pretty, uh, pretty in the center of all, all this stuff, and uh, I hadn't worked with him. He 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 actually came forward and uh, volunteered to, to come and do that. And I've been actually looking for a visual guy forever here in Nashville, and I've just been amazed that there's not more. I mean, I thought some of the younger generation stuff, you know, but um, Christos. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, so uh, we had one guy we worked with. He started teaching, and then he moved to uh, Minneapolis. And uh, I think we did two shows with him. But all the festivals that I do around, I mean, in Europe and here in the United States, they all, you know, we have these graphic guys. And some of them, you know, they travel halfway across the United States just to – but it's it's a it's a very important part of the electronic music scene. Um, jump, jump in, brother. Jump in. This is a great time. Uh, didn't you uh, recently? Who were some of the major uh, acts that you, I, I, I'm thinking Super Bowl and U2? Am I out of my mind or? Uh, yeah, we. Oh, I've worked on a. Well, hello. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hi. Well, welcome. You and, and you're, I, I, yeah, I wasn't expecting remember, to be. <laughs> you remember me, Chris, uh, this summer. Chris came out when we did Billy. And oh, he came out the yeah. first time. Yeah, yeah. He's an old best friend from here. He's doing just, yeah. that, just that work. Yeah. So Very I cool. sort of worked in the realm of in the music industry and, and the regular entertainment industry more so. And uh, I work in the video field of that stuff, yeah. doing projection and uh, stuff like that okay. for concert tours and corporate presentations on a large scale of a media server operator. Um, okay. So, you know, just the building projection mapping, that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. See, well, that's, or, you know. I know, he Charlie does some of the mapping stuff and all that too. Yeah. Um, what's that one? Uh, I'm trying to think of the company. It's out, it's out in San Francisco. I mean, it's like just probably the most cutting edge of the mapping, you know, the biggest wow. things in the world they do. I can't. I wish I could think of the name, but a buddy of mine from here went and worked there. Like they did in in uh, Sydney, you know the the famous opera. You know mm-hmm. they they did a mapping projection on that entire building that was just. Uh, I mean, yeah. You know, I wish I could think of their name. Uh, but anyway, that's what I, that was when I actually first got exposed to to the mapping and the whole deal was uh, and uh, Garth. Uh, Garth Williams was his, is, is his name, but um, I don't know. We've got uh, I think uh, a geodesic dome or two with some stretchable screens. Excellent. And, um, he's got two projectors, and um, Paul Harmon is a local artist here in Williamson County. We've been using his art as he donated his imagery, and we've used that for several things. We'll be projecting, you know, he, I think I've got fifty five of his paintings that all look like they were painted out in this, you know, they're very, uh, very big East Fort Valley looking to me. So anyway, they, they tie in real well. So he'll be projecting some of that stuff. And, uh, I've got some NASA stuff from, uh, we've got a friend, Charles White. He's at uh, JPL. So he sent me a bunch of links to where I could go download some of the stuff off the NASA servers. And so we've assembled that. We'll probably have some of that as projection and, you know, a lot of it's just uh, in the moment for us. Absolutely. I mean, you know, that's uh, that's where I really, uh, personally, I just I love that part of creation and performance. And uh, but <clears throat> you know, the others the others interesting too. I I kind of look at it like a difference between a craft and an art. You know, when you first create that, the first time in the moment is the art of it. Hmm. But when you practice and rehearse and, you know, you're crafting something that, at that point. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I really like the, I like that spontaneous moment that the sounds happen and, you know, the ideas happen. Mm-hmm. So video, visual wise, you know, it's kind of the same way. I know like <clears throat> with, with our group spacecraft and we'll be playing tomorrow or a version of spacecraft, which is mainly John Rose, who was just here and myself. We did uh, planetarium shows around the country, like started in the, I guess, the early 90s. And I mean, it was a perfect place because they're set up, you know, they've got, they're set up with plugs in the wall right down there in a little stage area. And it's like nobody ever, nobody was ever playing in there, you know, so, so we started doing that back then. And, and, uh, when we were, when we would tour around, we'd go in and, and we'd just ask the guys at the planetarium to show us their you know, kind of their little, their best tricks or whatever, and get an idea of what they had. Cause you know, <clears throat> excuse me, the planetarium business, you know, they would build one and it's always like a little bit better. You know, it's like the projector's just a little bit better. It's a little bit, and they keep in the software. So there was always kind of a different set of tricks that each of them had. 
So anyway, we would encourage them to become part of the band by just basically kind of uh, jamming with their visuals, you know, and, and some of them had a real problem with that to get over the fear of doing that if they weren't used to, because, you know, the, most of the shows are programmed, you know, fixed, and they just didn't, they weren't able to exercise their creativity. Those are my favorite part, parts of the show. I do a lot of corporate types of shows, and mm-hmm. so they'll bring in bands after the fact that we've built the entire presentation for the show that goes across. And then, hey, Journey's going to be here tonight. And then it's like, they don't have any backgrounds, uh, and we've got so you get a, chance a massive LED that. wall behind them. So it's like, well, what are we right. going to do? <laughs> and so then it's usually yeah. by that time we're already, we've, we've exhausted everybody because we've just finished doing the part of the presentation we have to do, but we're still running the LED wall and all the graphics they're supporting. Well, here comes Journey. And, you know, because they've been hired to do the event. Right. And, you know, I've got to go and dig into a folder and pull out, like, old digital juice files and clips and things that just, yeah. oh, that looks kind of like, okay, that looks good. And then it's just, yeah. it's an absolute blast. Well, that's really cool that you're able to do that because the, these guys, we well, find so often it, ever it'd do be that. like, you know, every so often it'll right. be like kind yeah, of a headlining, yeah. headlining act. And, it, you know, after we were done with those shows, they would thank us. You know, they were just like, yeah. wow, we, yeah. never, we never ever get to do that. Oh, yeah, they gave me a case of wine. It was really kind of, they totally did, they brought it right out. Like, here you go. I think somebody gave the doctor a case of wine over there. (laughs) Yeah, I remember when you all first started that, talking about big images, and we were talking the other day about about the the Athena. Yeah. VR there at the Athena, and then you guys, as I recall, you did. We projected on early. Your early performances were. Mm -hmm. Was it ninety nine? It was in ninety nine and uh the uh That was the spacecraft record that I picked up from you. I've had that that was the one that came out in ninety nine, wasn't it? Or was it around then? Um, let's see, ninety nine would have been like uh, I don't know if that was Earth Time Tapestry or No, I think that was ninety. Yeah, I don't know. I'd have to look. It's a good one. And we I have still, ten of them. It's funny because so I still listen to that. I still have well, it. Well that's in neat. My... I mean I, you know. Uh, I mean, it, that was probably the most well-known of the projects for me, for sure. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of people, uh, yeah, it's, it's really cool. But the... Um, Time for a renaissance. Yeah. yeah. Time for the, uh, a little renaissance. Uh, you know, I'd like if I could. <clears throat> this is such a great opportunity, maybe as an exercise, to explain to Chris in the, the most succinct form you know what tomorrow is about what this weekend's events about here's somebody who's kind of he's been mm-hmm. out here before he's and you'll be here tomorrow yeah cool he's experienced the space he knows a lot of the artists he understands mm-hmm. the creative aspect he's got mm-hmm. a production mind but at the same time we could really appreciate some of the long term vision that john has for the the space creating this community right and not just uh I think it'd be. I would. Okay. I'd well, love to kind of hear. I'll tell you what yes, I how, I, how I kind of see it. Yeah. Um, you know, because I mean, I started coming out here. I guess, you know, when you hired me. I mean, Darius is responsible for me. You know, you you or you arranged for me to come out here and and play sure. with Masood in July of last year after the Nam show. I've been here almost forty years. I'd never been down Biggie's Fork Road. And, uh, so that was your first time here? That was my first time here. Oh, that was here. my first time here, too. That's when I met you. The first yeah, night. okay. Yeah. It was awesome. Billy well, yeah. and we had a great time, and Masood said, hey, we play here, uh, you know, every Sunday we get together, and, you know, it's not really a, it's kind of like nature is the church. There's no agenda, no specific religion, and it's a lot of different folks, a lot of, uh, you know, intellectual discussions, and and I just found it very stimulating, Um uh, the discussions and uh, just kind of the exercise of uh, the concepts of an intentional community and sustainability and all that. So I, was, I really started enjoying talking and uh, and then realized that, hey, you know, we need to be recording some of this stuff because there's great ideas and information and, and we could be building this stuff, uh, you know, and trading it with other communities or whatever. So anyway... I got, you know, I got real interested in it. It's pretty close to where I live and, um, you know, very uh, impressed with what, what John's put together, Jonathan's put together here. So <clears throat> in an effort to kind of uh, make a splash in the community with the Center for Sustainable Stewardship, which is the nonprofit that's kind of over all this, 
I looked at those Sundays and kind of looked at, you know, what was going on here. And you have three integral parts. You've got nature and you've got art and you've got um, music that are all three common denominators that are all three something that anybody on the planet from whatever kind of background can relate to. And it's an equalizer. So, and that's kind of like what we're doing on Sunday. So, uh, and of course, you know, at the center of that is kind of creativity. I mean, it's kind of like, okay, well, we want to, you know, we want to include all these things, but we also want to educate people on what sustainability is and what the river and land stewardship and because that's, you know, that's the, the, the main mission of what Jonathan's doing. But, you know, he, you know, he runs on music and art. It's part of his, you know, how he enjoys life. So mixing all that together is kind of what the festival is. And, uh, you know, it's, it's trying to be all inclusive out here and not be exclusive. But, you know, in our modern world that we're in, there's so much divisiveness and so much, uh, you know, a lot of fabricated, I, I mean, I don't even really, it's, it's gotten beyond for me to where, um, you know, it's, uh, like John was men- Jonathan was mentioned earlier with the advent of a lot of the technology and the social networks and things like that, we've got neurosis and, and people getting, you know, kids getting anxiety and just a lot of issues that, coming out to a place like this and engaging in creative uh, actions like uh, art and music and drumming and the different things in a natural beauty backdrop kind of like we have out here. I mean, I don't know how it gets, I don't really know how it gets much better than that. Mm -hmm. My, one of my mentors was Don Evans and Don Evans was a professor at Vanderbilt and I did my first kind of festival in 1986 and I learned pretty much everything about mixing multimedia and electronic music and different things from Don. And, um, you know, he, he, in 1967, he did his thesis in, uh, uh, at the Moore's, uh, let me think it's in North Carolina. It was, he was at the University of North Carolina, and I'm trying to think of the planetarium there. It's a real old planetarium, mm-hmm. but he, I think it, it's more or something. But anyway, he did his uh, thesis, and his thesis was slide projections in the planetarium with Gil Trithal doing electronic music. That was in 67. So that, that was his kind of, uh, I got connected to him because I was doing electronic music. I was 23 years old. I went to Vanderbilt. He looked at me as a peer. I was never, I never paid them to be a student, but I had, uh, you know, he'd give me the opportunity to use the facilities, however, you know, do performances in the art department and use the photography lab and stuff. So there was a lot of different multimedia things that he uh, exposed me to, but yet it was on a, it was on a professional level because I would do the electronic music for his performances. He passed away here maybe, uh, I don't know, five years ago or so. But this is definitely in the spirit of what he was doing. And that's where, uh, you know, that's where I kind of got the inspiration to put these things together. So, anyway. If I could, if I could jump in. I yeah. And wish Masood was here because I think outside of, you know, this is just my observation, outside of nature and the, the spiritual aspect for sure the spiritual aspect mm-hmm. and this is the art and the music and all and the yoga and i mean all the health health you know body mind and soul but moreover it's a sense of community and this very um intentional agenda of healing you know, there's a lot of therapy and a lot of healing. It's real intense. These guys are, they, they'll, they'll bring uh, well, nature's children, that way. children out here and and uh, and then bring artists and musicians around to work with sound therapy and frequencies. I mean, they're really in. Well, there's, about yeah, there's a lot of work. Aspects. Yeah, and there's a lot of work with special needs, uh, you know, uh, like we've got, like right now in our gallery, we've got a Down syndrome artist, uh, uh, uh Kalu Salil from uh, Sudan, Africa, and she's nonverbal, but when she gets in front of the paint, I mean, in front of a blank canvas and paint, I mean, she just 
you know, she goes wild. And it's super deep. I mean, it's all abstract stuff, but I swear you look at it and, you know, like John and I were talking earlier, I mean, it's just like purely from the soul. I mean, she is just, and I mean, you feel it, man. You look at that and that's just, you know, it's a great, those are some great stories of just, of, uh, you know, interacting and making that kind of stuff happen. So Masood also, they have a uh, dye sublimation printer down at the studio here that's, that's on the retreat and, you know, so when, when he brings people in like that, then he's able to print some of their art up so they leave with, you know, a backpack or a shirt or a mug or something that's got their art on it. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then does the same thing, like going to Vander, Vanderbilt, I think, at the uh, uh, Kennedy Center and uh, the, uh, the Stauffer. I can't even think of the name of that. Yeah, but so there's a lot of work done to where, you know, and, and we've been talking about, like we've got a, a clinic for caregivers, for instance, you know, it's like some caregiving for caregivers, basically, you know, to where you come out here and, and give them a break and give them a chance to, you know, rejuvenate some. And, and even, you know, we've talked about, uh, you know, the opioid crisis is so, you know, immense. Is there something that we can do with music and with nature and with art that can somehow help equalize and heal some of the, you know, people that are in severe crisis you know so uh, you know it's a lot of talking about a lot of different things and hmm? as soon as some of the politics change on some of the alternative medicinal opportunities that hmm. the uh, west coast is adopting yeah yeah right I mean it's part of the culture and part of you know people uh, getting you know it's Developing health, you know, developing lifestyle, modifying lifestyle issues. I know this yeah. is a, something that is tremendously a part of who you are in the last yeah. six months mm. and, and seeking health that way. And you're talking about <clears throat> all the physical changes we can make to impact the pineal gland and, and become more spiritual. And it does start with. Yeah, and you know, we do talk a lot about the brain and you know neuroplasticity, how you can change your brain, and you can, you know, I mean, it's a it's a powerful thing, and and I mean, uh, you know, personally, just through diet, I've had that happen to me, you know. So, and I'll be talking about that tomorrow. I mean, a, a short little thing, just kind of an introduction to to all that. But you know, for me, there's so many people dealing with diabetes in the United States, and. Uh, I mean, I guess one in four, it's a little hard to imagine. Uh, unless you start looking at the food and you really start looking at how people are eating, you know. And I, you know, being wrapped up in it myself, I didn't really realize it until I got on the other side of, uh, in my case, carbohydrates, pretty much eliminating that. Um, because you really don't, I mean, your body doesn't need carbohydrates. You need the other stuff. But, you know, I mean, the fog that's that's lifted and um, how it gives your body the ability to heal itself on so many levels that, you know, the body is so unbelievably powerful in how it can heal itself and take care of itself if you put the context around it for to do that, you know, so like fasting, for instance, you know, a lot of people go through their lives and probably never explore or experience what you know, significant amount of controlled fasting is, but even just intermittent fasting. Yeah. Even intermittent fasting, but, but at 72 hours, I mean at 48 hours, but especially at 72 hours, there's a process that happens with on a cellular level, you know, with uh, free radicals and bad proteins that get burned off basically of your body. And that really reshapes some, you know, pretty major things in the process of your body. But if you never do that, you never give your body the chance to go through that process. And, um, you know, in the older days, I mean, our bodies were in that state quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And I think our bodies were really meant to be more in that state than they are to be in like a high carbohydrate where, you know, I mean, that three times a day. Yeah, we were. That was a natural. Though. Or you're I mean, one. High, you're you eating know, high high octane fuel too. You're eating fuel. If you're eating carbohydrates, those are those are made to be converted to glycogen and then go right into either the muscle or stored as fat for later. I mean, that's that's right. the quick quick sugar carb. Yeah. And that's right. what you need. Whether you're an endurance trainer or, or, or working out at a gym to, to yeah. burn it to protein. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. 
So, you know, and, and, you know, we were taught, we were taught really the wrong thing. Somebody, some, something got everybody off on the wrong foot in the fifties with the low fat thing and the bad, you know, I mean, food pyramid, I'm on like a high fat diet is what Mm -hmm. I do, you know, and people think it's crazy, but it saved my life. Yeah. You know, I mean, literally I was, you know, when I started this, I was, uh, you know, I was feeling my mortality and not in a good way. So, but it's been miraculous and. Yeah. Still good. So there'll be good, healthy food tomorrow. So there'll be good music and amazing art. Absolutely. Cool people and opportunities for fellowship and uh, community building that hopefully will continue to promote all the philosophies and. And, uh, we got a lot of background chatter out there. It sounds like. Sure. Sounds like we well, you know go, what? We ought, go, we ought to go play yeah, a song for. Them. We ought. Well, yeah. And we're about <laughs> we're about at the end of the rope on this uh, episode. But Thanks uh, for having us, bro. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, good to be here. Darius Rad and Chris Somerville. Somerville. So thanks for being here. The doctors left the room. Uh, possibly the whole building. I don't know, but. Uh, Anyway, this is Tony Gerber, your host for uh, Conversations from the Retreat here on Sustainability Radio, and we will see you in the next episode. Good night. You just heard Conversations from the Retreat from the Center for Sustainable Stewardship. CSSFamily.org